So a few weeks ago, I was chatting with a friend of mine who lives in Finland, of all places. We, we were texting back and forth through WhatsApp, and she's a good family friend, and she said to me, Matt, at some point, you and Lisa and the kids, you, you have to come visit Finland in the summertime. You have to come and visit in the summertime because it is spectacular. Up, up in the Lapland, in, in the northern part of the country, in the summertime, the sun doesn't set. In, in July, we get more than 22 hours of sunlight per day during certain weeks of July, and the temperatures are warm, but they're never too hot. It is perfect. You have to come to Finland in July. It's amazing. And then she asked me, she said, what's it like in Houston in July? <laughs> and, and I said, I don't know. And she said, oh, because you just moved there? And I said, no, because no one leaves their house. I have several friends from, from Finland, strangely enough, and um, all of them talk about the summers. The summers where the sun doesn't set and it's perfect weather. What they're more hesitant to talk about, however, are the winters. You see, in, in the first two weeks of January in the winter in Finland, it is the exact opposite of the summer. There are a few days in January in Finland where there is just 90 minutes of meager sunlight. 90 minutes, at most, of meager, barely discernible sunlight. And if you really press my Finnish friends, they'll tell you about the long, dark, and difficult winters. And they are long, dark, and difficult. But they don't like talking about it. They want you to visit in the summer. As I was talking with my friend, it, it kind of hit me that, that that weather is a good analogy for life in general. There, there are seasons of summer, like perpetual summer, where it, where it seems like the sun doesn't even set. Like life is really good. Like the kids are okay. Work is less than painful. Uh, you've got a decent amount of money in the bank. And, and church, even going to church is kind of fun. <laughs> life is good. And we love to talk about the seasons of summer. But there are also, there are also times of winter. And for some of us, they are winters that last and, and that linger. Seasons where it doesn't seem like the sun rises at all. Seasons where, where the darkness tends to abound. And those are the seasons we, we don't like to talk about. Today we're starting a new teaching series called Spirituality in the Shadows, and, and what I'm hoping we can do over the next four weeks or so is talk about those seasons of winter, of, of long, dark winter, where following Jesus is difficult, where, where the clouds seem to gather and the sun seems obscured, and it's long and it's hard. My hope is that we can apply the promises of Jesus to those dark seasons. In particular, we're going to talk about applying the promises of Jesus to things like doubt and despair, anxiety. And today, today we're going to talk about fear. About fear. Now, on one hand, you could say that, that fear is a good thing. Fear is a good thing. Fear, you could even say, is, is kind of a gift of God. 
Uh, instinctual fear can, can be the thing that keeps you from, from touching the open flame on the stove or stepping out into oncoming traffic or going to Ikea on a Saturday morning with your spouse. Thankfully, God has given us this thing called the central nervous system that gives us this autonomic response of fear that, that kicks in our fight or flight mechanism that tells us if you touch that, you will get burned. If you step out in the street, you will get hit by the car. If you do go to Ikea on a Saturday with your spouse, you will get a divorce. You don't need a bookshelf that bad. Someone might die. And the instinctual response of fear can serve us very well. You can say it's a good thing, it's a gift of God. Otherwise, we'd be walking through life dangerously and at constant risk of pain. Fear as an instinct can be good, but here's, here's what's not good. Fear as an attitude. Fear as an approach to life. Fear as a lens through which you see everything around you. While instinctual fear can serve us well as part of our nervous system, an attitude, an approach, a worldview, a lens of fear through which you view everything can rob you of peace and joy in life that God intends for you, that he wants for you, that he even promises to you. Fear as an attitude robs you of peace and joy. And the reason I bring this up is because I know all too well from seasons in my own life and from knowing you as your pastor and your friend that, that fear as an attitude can come on quickly and last for a long time and it can abound in the life of even the most faithful believer. And some of you are there right now. You're there. Fear has overwhelmed you. It's not just instinctual fear that keeps you from touching the flame. It is an attitude and an overwhelming sense of fear that has filled you because you're facing something undeniably scary. And you don't know how it's going to turn out. You're not even sure how you should respond to it. And fear has overwhelmed. Or maybe for you it's not just one thing. Fear has overwhelmed you because it's, it's everything you look at the headlines on the news as you scroll on your phone. You look at some of the dysfunction that's going on in your family. You think of the scratch in your throat that you've convinced yourself is probably cancer. And the uncertainties of life have overwhelmed you, and fear has taken hold of you. Now, no matter how it manifests itself for you, an attitude of fear, that overwhelming sense of fear that robs you of peace and joy, it really has one source. It has one source. It comes to us and it settles upon us when, when we realize or we are confronted with the truth that the world is unpredictable and we are not powerful. Fear settles upon us when we are confronted with the truth that the world is unpredictable and we are weak. Another way to say it is this. When we are confronted with our lack of control in a chaotic world, it fans the flames of fear. Fear 
whether it's instinctual, and even when it settles upon us for a season and overwhelms us and it becomes the attitude with which we approach everything in life, robbing us of peace and joy, it has one source, your lack of control, when you realize that the world is unstable and you are not as powerful as you'd like to be and you lack control. You see, there's one thing that human beings hate more than anything. It's realizing that we are not sovereign in our power over really anything. And we hate being confronted with the fact that the world is crazy and we are not powerful. And that strikes fear in us. And sometimes that fear lingers and it sticks and it stays and it hovers over us like the rains of Hurricane Harvey and it floods us. Some of you know that all too well. Now, the question for us this morning is what do we do when fear overwhelms, when fear becomes the attitude with which we want to approach life, the lens through which we want to look at everything? What do we do when fear overwhelms? Well, before I tell you what I think people of faith should do, I need to talk a little bit more about what we want to do, what we tend to do. What we want to do in seasons of fear where the dark clouds gather and overwhelm us and rob us of joy, what we want to do is respond to those seasons the same way we would respond if we saw a copperhead at our feet while we were mowing the lawn. Or the same way we would respond when there's a bump in the night that wakes us out of bed. What we want to do is let that, that fight or flight mechanism kick in. What we want to do is prove that we are smart enough to avoid fearful things, or that we're strong enough to conquer fearful things. We want to believe that we're smart enough to avoid it or strong enough to defeat it. Our instinct is to do something that helps us regain control. When a season of fear overwhelms, what you want to do is get your hands on top of it and be in control of it. So I'm going to be smarter than this, and I'm going to avoid the pain from this, or I'm going to be strong in the face of this, and I'm going to overcome this. I will defeat it. And you've met people. You probably know people. You might even be married to a person who has adopted one of these two approaches to life because of fear. The person who is determined to be prepared for every eventual outcome. And, and they are prepared for just about everything, but they are never any fun. <laughs> or the person who's just angry. Angry all the time because of their fear. Angry at all the things that they think are wrong with the world. And they're always looking for someone or something to blame so they can wag their finger and they can point at it and they can be angry and they can argue with it. Again, it's a, it's a way to regain control and fight the fear that is within them. But what you quickly learn when you try to fight or flee from an attitude of fear to be smart enough to avoid it or strong enough to, to squash it, what you quickly learn, what you quickly learn is that there is just too much uncertainty in this world. What you will eventually learn is that you are weaker than you thought in this world. That there is far too much uncertainty and chaos in this world for you to be prepared for everything that emerges and you are far too weak 
to conquer everything that comes your way. And if you try to do that, what you'll find is that at the very end, you will have spent a lot of your life running from things or fighting things, but ultimately not avoiding difficult or scary things. Eventually, you'll be confronted with the fact that control, this thing you are fighting for, control, control, control is, my friends, an illusion. As weak people in a chaotic and unpredictable world, control is an illusion. And this, this is where Christianity offers a different approach. When fear overwhelms us or, or scary things emerge for us, the scriptures encourage us not simply to flee from them or, or not simply to, to attack them as if we can defeat everything that comes our way. What the scriptures encourage us to do is, is to face it. And this, this is, this is going to sound so trite, but it is true. Just, just hold on with me. What, what, the, what the Christian scriptures encourage us to do is not simply to flee from it or to fight it, but to face it, face the fears that we feel with faith. To face them head on, holding on to a particular truth. That's what it means to face fears with faith. Um, to hold on to a particular truth as you deal with the reality in front of you. To give up on the notion that you'll be able to avoid problems. To give up on the notion that you'll be able to conquer the problems. But instead, to open your eyes and look at the problems and face them with faith. And what I mean by facing them with faith is holding on to a very particular life-changing truth. Now, I can just go out and tell you exactly what that truth is, but I want to jump through some scriptures and let you discover it for yourself. So we're going we're to power walk through a couple of scriptures, starting in Isaiah, which we heard read just a moment ago. I want you to look for certain key themes. Isaiah says this to God's people, and you are a part of God's people. It says, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thursday was Ascension Day. Who sits at God the Father's righteous right hand? I will uphold you with Jesus. Psalm 23, you know this one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why will I fear no evil? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Matthew 28, this is Jesus talking. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Looking at those scriptures, do you see the theme? Did you take note of it? Life is uncertain. Problems and pain will abound. The, the valley of the shadow of death exists, and God even walks you up to it and into it. 
But what? What does he promise? Fear not. Why? Because you're going to be able to avoid it, because you're going to be able to conquer it. What does he say over and over and over and over in Isaiah, in Matthew, in John, in the Psalms? What does he say over and over and over again? I am what? Say it. I am with you. Open your eyes to the scary things, but hold on to this truth. I am with you in it. Here's what makes all the difference in the world. The person of faith is one who is instilled by the power of the Holy Spirit with this life-changing truth that affects how we see the world. The person of faith does not look at the news. They don't look at their own health. They don't look at their bank account. They don't, they don't look at the world around them and think the world is scary. Here's what a person of faith says. I don't live in a scary world. I live in a God-is-with-me world. That is the truth you hold on to. I do not live in a scary world. I do not live in a dangerous world. Scary things and dangerous things happen, but here is the overarching truth of my life. I live in a God-is-with-me world. I got another verse for you. Psalm chapter 3, verse 3. This is King David. In the scariest moment of his life, he's running for his life because one of his boys, his sons, is trying to kill him, and it's not looking good. But David is facing it head on, and this is what he says. He says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Now, David was a warrior, and he was talking about a particular type of shield. In the ancient world, archaeology and history tells us that there was a particular type of shield that would go from, from foot to head. It would cover you from top to bottom, and it was kind of like a, a three-quarter circle, and you would kind of step into it. And it was made for you to step into it and be covered like on, on three sides. And as you stepped forward, following the commander, you were completely covered. But here's the thing. It only worked as you stepped where? Forward into the field of battle, following the general. You're covered on three sides. Slings and arrows are coming, but they're not going to hit you. But if you turned around, guess what's exposed? If you turn to run on your own, you are exposed, you will get shot, and you will die. Here's what David is saying. When I turn and try to deal with this on my own, I am exposed, I am vulnerable, and I will die. But if I follow you, Lord, into the fight, I know that you will cover me, that you love me, that you're looking out for me, that you will protect me because you are what? With me, the same guy who wrote Psalm 3, wrote Psalm 23. You are with me. That truth is meant not only to comfort you in times of trouble, but it is meant to transform you and change how you interact with everything around you. I want us to think about this truth that God is with us. God is with us in this world for a moment. What do we know about God in general, like his attributes? We know that God is good, that God is loving, that God is holy, that God is all-powerful and all-knowing. What do we know about God in detail through the person and work of Jesus Christ? We know that God has taken on flesh and come into our world, and he's faced the most fearful thing that human beings faced, death, and he's conquered it. And he's conquered it, and he's risen from it. So think about this. If the promise of Scripture is true, that God is with you, his people, and it is, here's what it means. It means the all-good, 
all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God who created everything with his two hands and holds it together right now, the entire universe and all of its expanse held in his two hands, the same God that took on flesh and came to this world and faced the most frightening thing you will ever face, conquered it, rose from it. This same God says that he sees you and he loves you and he's chosen you, but more than that, this same God says that he is with you. He's with you. Right now. Do you know what that means? It means that, that the scariest thing that you could ever face in this world is merely a, a big dog on a bigger chain. I mean, it can bite you, it can bark at you, it may even draw some blood from you, but it cannot consume you because the owner, the master of all, walks with you. It means that every problem, every pain that you face can be used for some greater purpose, a purpose that you may never see or understand. It can be redeemed for some greater meaning because the artist of it all walks with you. What it means is that the horrible thing that's been done to you, the injustice that's been laid upon you, it, it will be seen, it will be recognized, it will be made right in the very, very end. Why? Because the judge of the universe walks with you. What it means is that even if and when death gets you, you will pass through death into a life that doesn't ever actually end. Why? Because the one who conquered death and passed through it and rose again, guess what he promises? He promises that each day, every moment, he walks with who? He walks with you. He walks with you. For those of you who are frightened, for those of you who are scared, for those of you who have upset hearts, I want, I want you to look at me, and I want, I want you to hear me, and I want you to listen to me. If this is true, what are you afraid of? Cancer? Unemployment? Hurricane season and a house that floods easily? Swimsuit season and a body you don't like? Being alone? Being forgotten? Going without? Death? None of these things. None of these things can destroy you. You will face these things. You will encounter these things. You may be you may be bothered and bitten by these things, but through all of these things, you will be strengthened and you will be matured. And even if you die from these things, you will be risen from these things in the very end into a life that never ends to a point where in time, in the future, the worst thing that could happen to you will be just a blip on the radar screen of your never-ending existence. Even the worst thing that could happen to you eventually will be something that you will struggle to remember because it happened so far in the past, and the theme of your life is the goodness and the presence of God, what do you have to fear? Because God is with you. Now, you might be saying, Matt, I, I, I get that, I want to believe that, but I struggle to live that and walk in that. 
And I hear you, and I'm not saying that, that, that this truth that God is with us is an easy thing to wrap our arms around and suddenly we will have no fear. Although I do believe that the truth that God is with you, it gives you freedom from fear, but the freedom from fear is something that we, we grow into over the course of time as we walk with Jesus and he tells us over and over and over again that I love you, I forgive you, and I am with you. I love you, I forgive you, I am with you. And we go through trouble after trouble and we realize that Jesus is love and his presence always gets the last word. We grow in it. But I do think there is one practice that you can embrace that helps extinguish the attitude of fear when it starts to overwhelm, Whelm, that makes the flood waters of fear recede when they start to rise. And again, you're going to think this is simplistic, but it is powerful, and the practice is prayer. You show me a man or woman of faith who's able to step forward in faith, holding tight to the truth that God is with them, and it gives some sense of peace and calm and hope to them, and I will show you a man or woman who knows prayer. Prayer is the greatest weapon in the face of fear. I promise you it is. I love these words that C.S. Lewis said about prayer. He says this. He says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because, I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. I don't pray because it changes God. I pray because it changes me. When I talk about prayer, what I mean really is a dialogue with God. A dialogue with the divine that happens, maybe the first thing as you roll out of bed in the morning or as you're in the long line of cars on I-10 headed to work or mumbled underneath your breath as you face difficulties in life. It's a dialogue with the divine where two things happen, where there is a release and a reorientation. There is a release of all the things that are fearful and frightening in your life, and you take them, and rather than hold on to them, you pour them out to God. You might be rambling, you might be vomiting all these things out to God, but you are releasing all of these things out to God, all the things that are in front of you that could scare you, that could overwhelm you. Rather than hold them, you release them out to God. And then, and then you reorient yourself in prayer, confessing the truth that God loves you, he forgives you, and he is what? He is with you. He is with me. You, you release and you reorient and I know what you're thinking, Pastor Matt, if I, if I just prayed like that, releasing all the things I'm afraid of and then reminding myself of all the things that are true for me because God is with me, people, people would hear that and think I was crazy. And yeah, they would. But join the club and read the Psalms. You're in really good company. We're all scared and crazy. And what you do is you release it all to God, you reorient yourself around the promise of his presence that frees you from fear, and then you take a deep breath and you walk forward into frightening things, saying, Lord, help me to have joy and be faithful and watch as he works. Look, we, we can't live without water, okay? What I mean by that is this. When you are scared, you are thirsty, and there are two wells that you can drink from. You can drink from your fears and focus on them and draw drink after drink from all the scary things in you and around you, and it will only leave you parched. It will not satisfy. Or, and this is what prayer is, you can drink from the well of God's, of God's presence and his promises and watch as it cools your soul and gives you strength. You're going to drink from something, which will it be? It might just be time to pray. 
Look, fear is, in some sense, a good thing. It's a gift of God. It keeps us from walking around crazy and dangerous. Instinctual fear can be a good thing, but, but an attitude of fear is, is not a healthy or helpful thing. It can rob you of the peace and the joy that God intends for you. And I know that that is where some of you are living right now. You have a cloud of fear over top of you. And all I want to say to you as your pastor and your friend is that I am so sorry. And I am praying that those clouds part and the season passes. And that you are able to hold on to the truth that God is with you. But if you are waiting for, for the world to get less frightening or for God to give you some kind of guarantee that you're going to be able to avoid a bunch of problems or overcome any problem, you will wait forever and you will not have any peace because that's not how God works. It's just not how it works. I'll close with this. Earlier this week, I was doing some reading and I stumbled across the story uh, about the, the African impala some of you remember the Impala, the car from Chevrolet. This is actually like the deer. The African Impala, the deer, it's like a fascinating animal. It can, it can run upwards of 50 miles an hour. It can leap 10 feet in the air or 30 feet in distance. 50 miles an hour, 10 feet high, 30 feet in distance. It can outrun almost any attacker, jump over almost any wall, and leap over any trouble. And yet what's fascinating about the African impala is that when you go and see them in captivity, that they're kept in spaces with just a three-foot-high retaining wall. Because the African impala is notoriously skittish. It has all of this ability to run and jump and leap, but it's notoriously skittish. If it cannot see where its feet will fall, it will not jump. And so it remains captive. The world is a chaotic and uncertain and scary place. And, and you want to know where your feet will fall as you face everything. God does not tell us where or if our feet will land at all. And I know that kills you. But it doesn't need to hold you captive. The promises of Scripture are such that you can, you can walk forward into scary things. You can, you can jump and leap for joy because, because the truth is this. You will never, ever leap alone. God is with you. Let's pray.